Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know some love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. All right, welcome back to the recap. This is the September 4th episode. Not just the September 4th episode. I think this is our 29th recording. I was skimming through them the other day and I was like, this is a lot. Crazy, right? 29th, yeah. It doesn't seem like we've been doing it that long, but I Mm-mm. suppose it is September. Can we start in Ezekiel? Yes. <laughs> that ends with chapter seven. Okay, a couple things stood out. In chapter three, it says, I'll make you as hard in your way as they are in theirs. Mm-hmm. It won't work that way with the family of Israel. They won't listen to you because they won't listen to me. They are, as I said, a hard case, hardened in their sin, but I'll make you as hard in your way as they are in theirs. And I was just thinking about the hardness of hearts in our country, in the world. Like we are just our whole community, just our hearts are hard, hard toward one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and toward God. And, well, yes. Sorry. Especially toward God. It was that like, Lord, I want my heart to be hard for you. Just steadfast on you and the things that you care about, the things that you love, the people that you care about, the people that you love. Let me just be different um, kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah. Foundationally hard, completely and totally steadfast on the foundation. That's him, which kind of ties in with one of the highlights for me from first Corinthians, which is a passage that I love. So anyway, and then chapter four, I was taken aback by the length of days he had to lie down on his side and eat. What? There was bread and there was ration of bread and a ration of water. Yes. But he also had to bake it a certain way. So I wondered, did he get to get up from his side to make his food and then go back? I was thinking. I know. Super confusing. Practically, what does that look like? Yeah. And then he had, he was supposed to eat it over animal dung. And Ezekiel was like, I would never. Human dung. Not, At the oh, beginning, yes. it's human. Yes. He's, he has to eat it over human dung. And he was like, I would never, ever. Yes. And God was like, okay, you can do it over animal right. dung. Right. Like and that crosses okay. the, like, that's so far beyond the line of clean that like, I can't yes. even go there, God. I'm sorry. And God. It's love, like, okay, I get I it. I love yeah. that. The relationship yeah. that we can have with God that it's, ah, oh, please don't make me. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll make it a, I'll I'll make make it a little suppression. bit easier. Yeah. Yes. Minor, but still. Um, and then I love the wording in chapter five, verse 13 of the message. Where it's, Only then will I calm down and let my anger cool. Then you'll know that I was serious about this all along. And here's the phrase I love, that I'm a jealous God and not mm. to be trifled with. Mm-hmm. That was something I noticed there. And then at the end of chapter seven, the last line in chapter seven is then they will know that I am the Lord. Mm. And it just made me think, Mm. I don't want to need that kind of demonstration of God's power to know that he's the Lord. You know what I mean? Like that, that God. I feel like we're there. Don't you feel like you're there when you read it? Yes. And I'm kind of, I'm more thinking like personally than as a. I know. 
but yes, like I totally get what you're saying, but that God shows his power and his godness to us in so many ways. And that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yes. On whether or not we're walking in the spirit, you know? Yes. Which it's similar to the, it's similar to what we're reading about in Mark. God's like, I, I get that you don't recognize me in the flesh, but you should Mm -hmm. be able to recognize me by my works. And I think about Mm -hmm. like this whole 2020 thing that's become a joke who called two hurricanes at once for August. Mm -hmm. It has become a joke, but at the same time, are we going to open up our eyes and realize that God controls the storms? We have such hardened hearts. We're so stubborn. Mm -hmm. We're so deliberately rejecting the idea that there's a God that has his hand in things. We won't, we won't explain it that way. Mm-hmm. We'll explain it in all the other ways, but mm-hmm. calamity after calamity after calamity after calamity. At what point do we, what do we surrender and say, uncle, you're God and I'm not, you know? Yeah. Okay. In chapters two and three of Ezekiel, mm. at the beginning of chapter two, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. Mm-hmm. And then in chapter three, the spirit lifted me up. And then again, the spirit lifted me up. And then again, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. I don't know. I think I've just been mulling over that. Like, I'm not even sure exactly what direction I'm going in the mulling, but that he's so active and involved that the spirit is, this is, you know, old covenant spirit. So, but, but he still was such a huge part of Ezekiel's life who was, had a specific call from God. And yet now as believers under the new covenant, this is what we all have access, have access to. to. Like we all have access to knowing exactly what he's up to, yes. what he's doing, why he's and, doing it, what his heart is. Yeah. Yep. Just how mm-hmm. fully um, involved and how obviously involved he was. The spirit set me on my feet. Ezekiel knew without a shadow of a doubt that, that, that the spirit was doing these things, you know? Yes. I've just been mulling over that. Yes. That was in first Corinthians again, very similar, at least in my version, it read very similar to um, the passage that I quoted in last week's weekly truth on um, the Holy spirit, searching all things and knowing all things. Hi, I just wanted to take a quick break to let you know about a couple of great resources we have for you. First, did you know that we have two podcasts? I know, it's confusing, but we have this one, the recap, where we highlight our takeaways from the Bible reading plan, but we also have one called the Dive Collective Podcast, on which we highlight the gifts and talents and stories of our members. We have three great interview episodes already up, but we have more coming soon, so you're going to want to access those on both Google and the Apple Podcast platforms. We also have a couple of excellent free Bible reading resources on our website at divecollective.org. When you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get weekly emails with a devotion to start your week and a free download of the Bible reading plan. And we also have a dive guide in the shop. So check the shop out too while you're there. So head on over to divecollective.org to grab your free resources soon. Chapter four, starting in verse seven through eight. It's not actually, it doesn't talk about the spirit, but this is what it makes me think of is that from that same passage. So this is for who do you know that really knows you, knows your heart? And even if they did, is there anything that they would discover in you that you could take credit for? Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? So what's the point of all this comparing and and competing? You already have all you need. You already have more access to God than you can handle. Without bringing either Apollos or me into it, you're sitting on top of the world, at least God's world, and we're right there sitting alongside you. 
I love that wording. That whole access to God, complete and total access mm-hmm. to God. Says here yeah, you are already Complete rich. and total yeah. access to God is more mm-hmm. access to God than you can even handle. Mm-hmm. Than any of us can even handle. That's totally, that's where it's like, man, Lord. I had this vision the other day where I was like, Lord, you know, in a marriage, that's just knowing, like intimately knowing one another. And it's like, you know, all of me. I want to, I want to yeah, know more both and, ways. More and yeah. more of you. Yeah. Like I want to know as much of you as I'm capable of knowing, which is more obviously than I can even know. Right. I just love that passage. So now we're in first Corinthians. Let's see. Yeah. That passage right there that you just read reminds me of, there's this kid's book that I used to read to the kids when they were little. It's called Fool Moon Rising. Not full, but foolish. Fool. And the moon is basically like, it's. this is just like the best illustration. The moon rises every night and is so proud of who he is and this awesome light that he is. And then all of a sudden he realizes that he's not actually a light, that all he's doing is reflecting the sun's light. So when he's rising every night, he doesn't get to take any credit for that light. None of that is his. It is all the sun's and he's just reflecting it. And I have always loved that illustration. And that's what, this is the verse. Why do you boast everything that you have, you have received from me? Like you have, there's nothing that you can boast about. So this actually is the verse that I did my first talk on for Illuminate that you came to. And that's part of why we named it Illuminate is because it's from that verse, the idea that the light and our righteousness and the righteousness that God clothes us with, when the light is shining directly through us and nothing is standing between us and the light, everything that's inside of us that he made beautiful from the very beginning just glows because he's shining through us. All the impurities melt away and all that's seen is the beautiful creation that he intended us to be. And that's what he sees when he looks at us. So I think you brought up that book when we talked about this particular verse and that, and you, that's exactly what remember, but yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. This verse was a really big, a really big one for me. And it's funny. That was the flowers. Mm -hmm. Remember? I thought, I didn't realize that was the first one ever. Yeah. That was the first one. Cause I had really been struggling with, um, just disapproval. I had been really struggling with a lot of, uh, just people not approving of me. And, um, that's what God was saying. He was like, look at like, nobody, don't let anybody stand between you and me. Otherwise they completely fade the light that you were intended to carry. And I'm still shedding a lot of those insecurities that Mm -hmm. I gained at that time, but he's good. I also loved in the beginning of chapter three, verse nine, we are God's coworkers. It just had never stuck out to me quite like that before, but just the idea that, I mean, and it ties into that in a sense that God chooses to use us as his coworkers. Oh, can you read that to me? Cause that is not. So it's kind of tying back from chapter two. I think it's chapter two, like, or maybe one. Yeah. Chapter one in verse five. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither one, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's coworkers. Which totally ties into what are you boasting about? God's the one that's doing this work. He's using you, but. Yes. You don't get to take any credit for it. Yes. Very much like the full moon. Yeah. So one of the things that I thought was interesting in first Corinthians, 
when he's talking about marriage right now, I'm like, you've got to be coming home soon, Lord, right? Coming home, coming back, not home. You have to be coming back soon. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was thinking, man, the only way that this reads and makes sense to me is this portion on being married and being single Mm -hmm. in chapter seven Mm -hmm. is if Paul is, and again, it might just be the message is if Paul thought that like they were literally waiting for Jesus to come back. Yes, I agree. Right? I think it does read that way. Which, okay, I've never which read it that way it before. Hard to translate that into, okay, what does it mean then? And maybe part of the reason it feels like that for me is because I'm like, why would he say this if he didn't think Jesus was coming back in a week? You know what I mean? Like, in yeah. their lifetime. Yeah. Why would he say what he's saying? It doesn't make any sense to me because God created marriage and said it was good. You know what I mean? Like, yes. It almost feels like the opposite of what we know. Yes. Um, and he's basically like, remain however you are. Like if you're single, stay single. Right. If you're married, stay married. And stay like, married. Well, what does that mean for like the kid growing up? That's like, right. I mean, right. Which then kind of highlights a whole nother, like, gosh, is that how we're supposed to be living? Are we supposed to be living and doing ministry right now as if time as is if of Jesus the essence? Tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, we should be, you know? I mean, Paul, I think that should be our mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like waiting about, expectantly. Yeah. And Paul, this happened for him. He was in, he was Jesus's lifetime. You know, he's looking at it thinking that it's going to happen at any minute. And now we're 2000 years later and going, well, maybe he's never coming. <laughs> Not that, like, I mean, we know that he is, but we act like he, it would of, never be in our lifetime. We act yeah, like exactly. But this is what I love. So, so I've been in the last week as my life has gotten busier, and I'm trying to make decisions about what things to add to my life and what things not to add to my life. God's reminded me like of when I was on my deathbed, I was like, Lord, I want a second chance at the race. I want a second chance to run the race. And I have this second chance to run my race. And that's what I'm feeling like. It's like, I feel like this urgency that's like every waking moment with every breath that I have, I want to be doing his work. Wherever mm-hmm. there's an opportunity, I want to say yes, if I can, you know? So that's kind of where I'm yeah, but at the same time, like that seems so unwise compared to like the counsel that you get from people, you know, which is like make room, make room, make room, slow down, slow down, don't get busy, don't get busy. And I want him in the midst of it, but it was fun to land to end my reading for the entire week was this morning. I ended it on the very end of chapter nine in First Corinthians, where it says, You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs, one wins, run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. Mm. I just love that so much. That was my prayer this morning before I even started reading was, you know, Lord, I just want to run the race. I want to run hard. I want to run fast. And I want you to be with me. And like, I want you to dwell with me in in all Mm -hmm. the busyness. I want to learn how to dwell with you at all times in your Mm -hmm. presence, aware of your spirit. So far from that, like I'm not there. It's just a desire. It's the desire Mm -hmm. that I have. I've been thinking about that too in it, in relation to joy, because I, as a person don't thrive on busyness. It wears on me and we are in a busy season and I'm surrounded by my people all of the time, which is also not something that's super life giving for me naturally. And so I've been thinking about finding joy. How do I go through the next 
10 months of my life and not see every minute as a chore, not live for the moments of downtime, to find joy even in the busyness of what life is right now. And I think that's it, what you just said, recognizing that this is what God has called me to now and that he is present with me in it. His presence is fullness of joy and I can be in his presence Anytime. My busy season doesn't have to define my joy, right? It doesn't have to, yes, it does not have to be life sucking for me because I'm looking at the next little while and it feels life sucking, but it doesn't have to be that way Yep. because of the spirit, like because, because I have that access to all of God all of the time. So Lord, help us live that way. Help us live that way. Cause that's not from us, right? Like that can't, we can't no, muster that. I can't, can't muster that. It. Nope. There is no mustering. Like there is. But that's a prayer he loves to answer. Mm-hmm. Like he wants to answer that prayer so much. So we just need to keep praying it. Keep asking it. Keep asking, keep asking. That's what I've been just more of your Holy Spirit, Lord, more of your Holy Spirit, more of your Holy Spirit. So first Samuel, I am just loving this book so much. So part of this new, like kind of ramp up to like accepting busyness, not just accepting it, but like kind of embracing it. This is, I'm running my race. I'm running my race. I'm running my race. Like, I feel like it kind of like sparked with that passage where Samuel's just running around giving away his leadership, you know, like mm-hmm. gifting the world with his leadership. I, side note, sort of. Yeah. Mine does not say that at all. It doesn't it's actually like say phrasing. giving his, we, we, it says, well, I remember you read it in the message leadership. and it's totally different than what mine is. It's cool how God's word is living. That is a paraphrase. This is his interpretation. And yet you reading it in that way, it's tying so many things together for you. And like how, like even in that. I've just sort of been reading first Samuel. It's just a giant lesson in leadership. Like if you Mm. watch Saul, I can relate to Saul so much. I relate to Saul so much. I see his insecurities. I see the way that he's all bitter and enraged by David and he's going after him one minute. And then he's, then David runs across him and he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're the best. I love you so much. And then yeah. he, they go away. And then the next thing you know, somebody's like, I know where David is. And he and he's gets up immediately again. and go yeah. get him. And David again, almost kills him or could have killed him and chose not to. Mm-hmm. And Saul's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're the best. It's just like our fickle hearts that are like, I want to forgive. I want to forgive. I want, I, so, and so I do in this moment. And then the next moment it's like, but I hate her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's so ugly. And all insecurity, all insecurity. He's so grossly insecure. To put myself in Saul's shoes for a second, David is Saul's competition. Like Saul, mm-hmm. Saul, in a very real and understandable way, feels threatened by David because yeah. David's going to take his spot whenever he's gone. Yes, and everyone's aware of that. And then Dave, and then Saul's son is like BFFs with his competition. So yes. like, just there's so much happening, it's like right from a human perspective. Yeah. Yes, like from a human perspective, everything was. And that's, I think what I see is it's like, I have lots of legitimate reasons, I mean, to be insecure and yet it's so gross. Like I see it in everywhere and it's like, oh. When you focus on that human side of it, it's totally legitimate. But like you forget that Saul was also anointed by God. He forgot that he has access to God and that God has put his spirit on him and like. But he doesn't anymore. Well, he does leave him. Right. 
did Saul realize that God wasn't really with him anymore? Did he realize it? I don't think that he realized it only okay. because he goes then to seek him before battle. And when he yeah. doesn't know whether he's going to win or when he doesn't hear back from God, that's when he goes and he calls up Samuel. Yes. That's so right. I don't, I mean, I feel like he thinks. He thinks God is still with him. Why would he be so worried about David if he thought God was still with him? Saul relying on God because he knew he was, that God had appointed him. And yet he also knew God had appointed David. So like that constant jumble of being caught up in humanity, like the human insecurities and what you know that God has done, like, yes, it doesn't always. And part of Saul's problem from the beginning is they didn't ever fully recognize that it was God's power through him. He kind of yes. took more credit for it than. Okay. This is kind of off topic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so David flees to Gath in verse 21 or chapter 21. Mm-hmm. Goliath is from Gath. Yeah. And David goes to Gath to the king, uh-huh. and his servants are like, Wait, isn't this David the king of the land? Don't they say that he's like killed a bunch of people? And I'm listening, I'm reading this and I'm like, Kh. It just was weird to me that. They weren't like, whoa, this is the dude that killed Goliath. That that wasn't their initial reaction. They don't say anything about him being the guy that killed Goliath. They just talk about that he's killed a lot of people. Yeah. I just thought that was funny. I would think that they would, he would be a legend in Gath and everyone would be terrified of him. He has Goliath's sword at that point, which I love. He does. God's story writing there is so great that he ends up with Goliath's sword to go back yep. and become becoming a leader. Basically, he becomes a leader in Israel right after that as the people all come and look to him for leadership, including his mother and father, brothers and sisters and his father come to yeah. him because they were in danger, obviously, mm-hmm. with Saul because David being who he was. Mm-hmm. And I love that he hides them in Moab. In Ruth's hometown. I didn't even know that. The beginning of chapter two, it says, David went to Mizpah in Moab. He petitioned the king of Moab, great asylum to my father and mother until I find out what God has planned for me. Beginning of chapter 22 in verse three. Oh yeah, there it is. It says, David went to Mizpah in Moab. He petitioned the king of Moab, grant asylum to my father and mother until I find out what God has planned for me. So Jesse and his wife, or at least Jesse, would probably have been known of as mm-hmm. Boaz's grandson. It would have been Boaz, Obed, Jesse, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. So he leaves his family there, and then he runs this group of misfits. That's, I mean, this whole chapter 22, really, I was like, man, this is just a huge foreshadowing of Jesus. So at the beginning of this chapter, you see David, who's trying to lie low, Like everybody's finding him and they're running to him. And so there's Mm -hmm. like these 400 people that are all hiding in caves and David's taking them all. He's not, Mm -hmm. he's not saying to any of them, look, I can't do this right now. I'm busy hiding from Saul who's trying to kill me. And they're all like, these are all desperate people. These are all people who are terrible. It says desperate, desperate in debt or discontented is how mine translates it. So there's these desperate people and David is like taking them all. He's like, okay. Okay, you're mine. Come on. He's after me. It's going to be okay. And then at the very end, so that makes me think of Jesus so much because Jesus is trying to lay low at the beginning of his ministry, but then he heals the leper and it's all set mm-hmm. loose. And he's got crowds and crowds and there's no laying low for him or getting away. Um, and then at the very end of chapter 22, it says, don't be afraid. The one out to kill you is out to kill me too. Stick mm-hmm. with me. I'll protect you. I was like, oh, that's so Jesus. That's so Jesus. Don't be afraid. The one that's out to you kill you is out to kill me too. 
I got that. Which is an interesting, I don't know that that would have given me a lot of reassurance that the one that's trying to kill you is also trying to kill me. Right. But when you're David, they're all following him for that one reason. They, he killed Goliath. They all, they all know that he's the one that yeah. kills 10,000. He go, God's with them. Yeah. They see the power that's of God true. in his life. Yeah, that's true. As I study Mark and I picture him marching toward the cross, doing all these things on his way to the cross. He's like, don't worry. Yeah. The one that's out to kill you is out to kill me too. And Right. But God's you. on our side. Yeah. Yes. And the end of the story is good to go. Where Saul is the picture of leadership that, that I recognize so much in myself, David is the picture of leadership that's like, that oh. you want, yeah. Yes, I'm looking at, I'm watching all of it. Like the way that he asks God for all these things before he goes, he's like, what do you think, God? And he waits mm-hmm. for a response and he trusts yeah. God's answer. And for me, it's like, that yeah. is the same spirit that's alive in me. Like, if I mm-hmm. ask him, if I let him lead me in these things, Will he? Like, do I trust that he'll respond to me? And I do believe that he would respond to me. So I want to ask more. Yeah. You know? Yep. And just the incredible amount of faith that David had in God's plan and that big picture. When I put myself in David's shoes, it would have been really easy, I think, to be like, oh, you want me after Dave, after Saul? Okay, well, I'll just we'll just end this early because this is a disaster and yes. I'm your guy. But for him to recognize that it like, wasn't his work to fulfill. No. Yeah. And it's just, impossible. How did he, especially do that? with this, especially with the circumstances, he's literally running for his life when he could end it all and yes. just be the king. Like he just waits patiently. He waits patiently. Right. He waits patiently. Right. He doesn't make it happen. Even though he knows it's going to happen. That's Jesus again. Mm-hmm. That's he waiting patiently. He's like, I, he could just, he could have done it earlier. <laughs> I didn't have to be here for yeah. three years. And so at any point he could have been like, I can save the world. Yeah. Today. Let's do this now. I want yeah. to, but he waited for God's perfect timing. So clear to me why David is called a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was not in it for himself at all. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab. And we will see you next week.